You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Uh, I've just detected a new webcam. Josh Parrish, what have you done? <laughs> have we gone panorama, have we? Just about. Nice uh, nice angle for our, our Zoom guest to be able to actually see us for a change. <laughs> now, we're doing uh, multicam here in the studio uh, now, you might have noticed. Wow. Uh, this is taking me back to the early days of television when I actually had to uh, decide where my eye was going to go and to follow the red light. But these ones are on all the time. <laughs> this is pretty scary. It's like, okay, man, which way am I going? Uh, welcome to State of Our Football Nation. Josh Parrish is manning the controls. He's got the license. He's the only one allowed to fly. Um, my name is George Danikian, and um, each and every week we travel and uh, – cover as much territory as we can, talking about the state of the game in this country, uh, about uh, some of the big stories that are happening in the game. And, of course, I think we start this week with um, the cricket world lost Shane Warne. The football world, especially that in Victoria and Melbourne, lost a guy called John Dimsis. And we're going to catch up with um, someone who knew him for an awful long time, who looked up to him and... um, Loved him dearly. Uh, I'm talking about the uh, the coach of Heidelberg, George Katsakis, who will be joining us very, very shortly. Uh, John was someone that George Katsanis and I managed to interview a number of years ago. And we knew then that his health wasn't the best. But John bravely came in and told some good stories and gave us a glimpse of what it must have been like in the heyday of the NSL when Alexander... Heidelberg, Alexander, South Melbourne, uh, the Melbourne Knights, and all those teams that made Victorian football so mighty. Um, He gave us a sense of just how many great players there were, uh, some of the battles that the administrators had to face. And he, of course, received a a Hall of Fame uh, for Victoria. I think Football Victoria gave him that, uh, that accolade because they realised what a contribution he made, not only to the sport in this state, but uh, to the game and to his club, where he is revered. And uh, I'm sure that many of them today and this week are feeling very, very sad. But I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, George Katsakis when we can get a bit of an opportunity to um, reflect on, uh, on a guy who came to this country. He was born in Greece back in 1940. And he came here as a nine-year-old. And uh, from that moment on, I think he was a Northcote boy, <laughs> um, he, he learnt the lingo and uh, he, he fell in love with the game. And, of course, the rest is history. We'll, we'll talk about that um, uh, over the next, uh, I suppose, half an hour or so. Uh, we're going to talk about the um, A-League men's. We're going to talk about the A-League women's. Uh, some exciting football has been played. The AFC matches have started Josh Parrish, uh, your your uh, Sydney team that you thought might just cruise in its early encounter with a side from the Philippines did just that. Mm, I was worried that the match wasn't going to go ahead, George. Yeah, the way the rain was pelting down, but they made uh, they made arrangements. They inspected the pitch at the last possible moment to give themselves the best chance. Did and they get they get the helicopter up and running to <laughs> to dry out the pitch, which which is a time worn practice that the Cricket World and Channel 9 used to have up its sleeve whenever it needed a very fast uh, response or return to the wicket. I don't know if the APL has helicopter <laughs> budget, George. I think it might have been a hairdryer, perhaps, 
Maybe, hey, maybe, maybe Steve Parker's hair no, dryer treatment. One of these new super drones. <laughs> that would be all right. Yeah, that'd do, that'd do the trick. Yeah, right? there you go. No, uh, maybe we need to up our tech, given the amount of A-League games that have been called off due to inclement weather recently. But uh, Sydney made light work uh, of Kaya FC Ilio. So they will uh, progress through to the, the Champions League group stages, which is very exciting. Uh, Brisbane Raw struggled in their uh, contest. Uh, Brisbane Raw last night. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's been a rough season for them. Um, I was you had high hopes. I did you? have high hopes, and uh, they continue to be <laughs> let down by this <laughs> Brisbane team. Uh, I I do think there are answers that Warren Moon hasn't quite found yet. Uh, but the problem with Brisbane is they they flatter to deceive because they're very good between both boxes. Their mm. midfield is is very strong. Mm. Uh, you know, depending on which lineup they go with and which formation they play, I've seen some very good midfield performances from them. But in both boxes. They've been horrendous. Can I just give you a glimpse? They had a young guy who was a mongrel, a real tough, um, ornery character who liked to score goals. Very quick, very tough. The only problem is he's now playing for Western United. Yeah, that's uh, when you a take loss. When you take young players who have that special quality and you take them out of your side... They're not readily, uh, you know, they're not easily replaced. Mm. I mean, Melbourne City's going to find out when Conor Metcalf leaves uh, just just what a role he's been playing. It's a bit like watching the emergence of Florian Berenguer. Three mm. years ago, if you had said to me he's going to be one of the most outstanding midfielders in the A-League, you'd say, George, <laughs> you know, a senior moment has caught up with you really quickly. But it was... Classic example of a young guy who came here with his wife, not a word of English. Mm. Um, no sooner had they arrived, they were burgled and the whole place, the whole world was turned upside down. Then he got injured. Um, and from that very low base, he's continued to build. He and his wife uh, actually got someone, mm. a teacher, to come in and help them with the language. And you see him now, he's actually now putting his hand up and doing interviews for Melbourne City after the game. I'm sure that's helped. I also think Confidence. being played in a different position has okay. has changed yep. the game for me. It was actually funny, you know, you get these Facebook memories from three years ago and occasionally <laughs> I've I've shared clips from FNR and I get reminded of some of my worst takes from Ooh. 2019. But uh, we were discussing... Yeah, are you suggesting to me that some of them haven't aged very well? <laughs> well, this one definitely didn't. <laughs> some, sometimes I look back and think I was spot on. Other times, not so much. Not so much, yeah. But... In the context of that season, I think I was right at the time. Just, uh, you know, his performances since then have, have gone on to, to prove me wrong. But we were, we were discussing uh, the uh, APL. It was one of these reports into independence and things. And apparently the APL wanted to add eight foreigners at the time if they took and over thought, the A-League. What's going and on? We were, we, I, and I was actually using Florin Berengay at as the an time example. as an example of the mediocre quality of the, you know, fourth and fifth foreign players that a lot of the clubs had brought in. And at the time, that was true uh, under Warren Joyce. But, uh, yeah, no longer. He's one of the outstanding players in the competition playing in that, that central midfield role. He doesn't have to run, you know, beep tests up and down the touchline anymore. He can just dictate from the centre of the pitch. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's been one of the league's best this season. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, we touched on confidence. But isn't it interesting that last year in the grand final, he could well, with a touch, a, a better touch, almost have scored the goal of the season, the one that went from almost the back of the pitch right through and it went to the one side of the, the goalpost. Had it snuck in the other side, it 
it might have been one of those memorable goals, uh, grand final goals that you go, wow. Well, here he is now uh, scoring goals reasonably regularly. And that adds another component, doesn't it? It adds another layer of danger. You've got McLaren, you've got uh, you know Metcalf, you've got Tilio, you've got Berenguer and others now coming in. Uh, speaking of others coming in, we look like we've found George Katsakis. Um, that's not that his best angle. I think if he gets the light up, he'll improve <laughs> immeasurably. Come on, Georgie. <laughs> George Katsakis, welcome to FNR's State of Our Football Nation. Josh Parrish and I are talking about the passing, very sad passing of John uh, Dimsis, who has been and had been for quite some time uh, a fabulous contributor to not only the history, but the running of Heidelberg. Yes, yeah, some uh, really bad news or sad news to come out of the uh, Burgerland, uh, George. Um, uh, been quite disturbing the last few days for, for everyone involved at Heidelberg. And in particular, not only Heidelberg, but football, the football world in general. I think his contribution to uh, Victorian football and, uh, of course, national football, um, it can't be denied. He's just exceptional in what he did. There were a couple of very critical decisions made by John and his uh, then board. And um, obviously, the football's moved into a, another direction for, through a couple of those decisions. So he will be sadly missed. He's a person that gave um, his life to football, and, and in particular Heidelberg. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been quite disturbing the last couple of days for us. You know, I'm, I was reflecting a little earlier, uh, reading up and re- reminded myself I'd forgotten that he stepped in when Johnny Constantine who was then head of the uh, ASF, uh, stepped down, stepped away from the game, and John stepped in and I think made some of those decisions that you touched on. So he, he not only had a, an enormous role to play in Victorian football for Heidelberg, but also as an administrator, but, but also nationally. So he was, he was a lifelong contributor, wasn't he? He certainly was. He was, uh, he, he was always on, on the ball. He... Um... You know, I remember uh, categorically back in uh, late 80s, early 90s when um, I had I had uh, the pleasure of bringing out the Iraqis Football Club uh, from Greece, from Thessaloniki, and uh, and John said to me, he said, you know, uh, he goes, Cats, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> I said, well, as long as you're next to me, John, we can't go wrong. And for the duration of that trip, uh, we I think we flew to Adelaide, Perth, uh, played in Melbourne, um, Johnny was next to me, you know, and um, God, gee, did he know his stuff, uh, you know, through all angles of football. He just uh, made sure that the whole trip was a, a you know, marvellous success. So, yeah, you're right. He stepped in at, at national level. He stepped in at, uh, obviously, at, at the VSF level. And, um, and, you know, and his contribution to Heidelberg was just uh, second to none. Uh, George, was it his, was it his attitude was it his demeanour? Was it the way that he was meticulous? And if he started something, he made sure he finished it before he moved on to the next thing? Or was there I something think, else? Uh, I think his banking uh, background had a lot to do with that. Oh. Uh, obviously, John was a state bank manager for many, many years. Okay. And, um, you know, I think that he had protocols and he, he wanted he wanted football to move into the right direction. So he carried out things. He wasn't one of these going to do this and going to do that, you know, people. He <laughs> he made sure that he carried out something that he started. And, um, you know, there was a lot of evidence of that uh, 
at all levels again when uh, he made sure that there were some uh, some really big decisions made and he was a contributor to those decisions. Uh, George, are you able to give us an insight into what those decisions were that were so impactful for people who aren't familiar with his legacy? Yeah, look, I think there were some refereeing uh, changes that were made. If, look, I, I, obviously I can't remember him uh, vividly, but I, mm. I remember speaking to him a few years ago about these things. And there was, um, at national level, I think there was um, some changes made to the national team and, and the way that they um, uh, were paid and, and carried out all their um, their travel allowances and some things um, off the pitch with them. Then the refereeing, there was um, a, a national um, a committee, um, uh, you know, where I think the th- certain decisions were made that uh, through all federations, uh, we were going to keep things aligned. Um, that was just a couple of things that I sort of remember off the back of my head at the moment that we spoke about back then. But, um, you know, uh, it did touch on quite a few. And I know that uh, through some uh, older people at, at our club, uh, you know, we were reminded that uh, he had he had a massive contribution to those to a couple of those changes. You gave me an inkling of how special he was when you said he was a state bank manager. He he is he came from a time when your bank manager was someone rather important in your life. Uh, <laughs> and, and he was someone who built up enormous networks of people. Today, we have these private bankers and they keep shifting them on us. It's like a moving target. So you never actually get a chance to identify who you actually uh, do the work with or, uh, or get whatever you require from the bank. But in those days, he came from uh, a, a time and, and a place when your bank was your rock-solid platform and the man who was running the bank or the woman that was running the bank was someone you respected enormously and they knew your business better than you did. You appreciate that? Uh, John? Yeah, George. Uh, John. So John was the state manager at the uh, State Bank in, um, in in Smith Street, Collingwood. And of course, you would know, but uh, for the people out there that don't know, Melissa uh, is, has a fifty odd year um, uh, history in in Smith Street, and he was only situated four or five doors up from uh, from Melissa. And uh, I categorically remember that Dad was attending an auction and we wanted to buy the building next door to Melissa. And um, he says, oh, the auction's in four hours. I said, well, have you spoke to the bank? He goes, no, no need. I've, John's there. <laughs> so I said, well, what do you mean? He said, no, no, I'll, I'll go speak to John now. I said, well, the auction's in four hours. It was the morning of the auction. And um, he said, don't worry, it's all good. So he, he wandered on into the bank, spoke to John. And he said, yeah, it's all done. I said, what do you mean? He said, he's told me to bid for, you know, whatever, and it's all good. We'll make thought, it happen. <laughs> you know, so you're right, George. I mean, I think, you know, back, back in the day, things were a lot different where, where the money and through the bank, you know, the banks were, were operating differently. Uh, John was one of those state managers that, um, that you know, made things happen. Yeah. His network of people in, in Smith Street in particular, but uh, within the Greek community uh, was just phenomenal. And, uh you know, and he leaves his legacy behind because uh, I'll tell you now that people that did get to meet John and and were part of his life, and I can categorically say that I was part of his life for nearly 40-odd years or 45 years. Wow. Um, just an amazing person, an amazing person. 
I'm reading here from his uh, Football Victoria Hall of Fame entry that in his role as, as treasurer at the Australian Soccer Federation, he, he helped negotiate the merger between the men's and women's bodies and uh, and for the women to actually enter Olympic competition. So he was a, he was a forward thinker, clearly. Oh, absolutely he was. He certainly was. He, um, uh, you know, even some of the decisions that he made at Heidelberg under his presidency, and I think he was president of the club twice, on two different occasions in two different eras. Um, and, of course, he, he was the treasurer of the club. Um, you know, some of the decisions that were made back then were obviously very favourable for the club. And uh, and that's the show today that, you know, the club's come a long way through through some of those decisions made back then. And especially now with the redevelopment of uh, of the ground and the uh, and the whole setup uh, at, um, at at what is the the Olympic Village, the old Olympic Village, um, it is something special. Uh, he, I think, he joined the club, uh, Alexander, when they were, was it, where, where was it? Smith Street. That's right. So I think the offices were just across the road from Melusine, oh, um, in, in the in the um, in the Pan Macedonian building, and um, you know, he. I think the offices of Fitzroy United Alexander uh, began in Smith Street, and he was he was a part of it back then. I know vividly because Dad Dad was uh, on board with him as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he hasn't left the club since. Now, just take us back. I, I, I remember seeing some photos of him with Sam Papasavas, uh, with uh, Johnny Constantine, of course, and, and, and an array of others. Uh, we also honour uh, someone this week, Frank Mikic, mm. or Micic. Uh, Micic. Micic, yeah. uh, who was a, a JUST great can you can you reflect on 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 that contribution? Because some of those superstar players of that time, who John not only would have nursed and 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 got them on the phone and said, "We need you over here at Heidelberg." Can you can you give us a, a sense of some of the the characters that he would have encouraged to to come to the club, and some he maybe missed out on? Well, look, uh, obviously, you know, through my coaching career that I've uh, had Jeff Olver as one of my assistants for for quite a while, you yeah. know, nearly nearly 14 years. And um, uh, and I, know I, can, I can tell you that Jeff was definitely one of those players. Um, I think at the at that time, um, Jack Ibanovic, or uh, maybe may have been a little bit earlier, uh, Jack Riley yep. uh, were at the club. And then um, Jeff was only a youngster coming through and, and uh, I remember John saying that he saw this kid rock up from Sunshine and he, he basically said to him, he said, um, you know, uh, where, where, where do you play? He says, oh, I play at Albion Rovers, I think it was. And uh, he said, well, you can't be that good if you're playing at Albion Rovers. <laughs> and, and Jeff said, well, you know, you don't even know me. He said, well, look, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you an opportunity. And that's what Tom was about, giving people a fair chance and opportunity. And, uh, and rightly so, he made the right decision back then. And of course, um, you know he's now uh, Jeff's history in, in in Australian football is, you know, he's just impeccable. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of caps with the Australian team, and went on to play it uh, at all levels. But that's just one of the stories. I know that uh, there was a huge involvement with uh, Charlie Yankos and a couple of the other boys as well. So uh, yeah, he definitely had um, um, a, a lot to say when it came to players coming across to the club. And we're talking about some of the biggest names in the game, Charlie Yankos. Hey, can you imagine what it was like in those days? Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, look, like I said, uh, and, and he was always around. John was one of those people that um, he was always around. He, he just didn't, um, 
you know, evacuate uh, when it comes to tougher times, you know. He, um, he, he stood by the, the boys that he brought into the club. Um, you know, I was one of the youngsters back then, and um, and I just remember John always being on the, on the pitch itself, um, you know, uh, obviously never getting involved with coaches and everyone, but he's, he's just his persona and his aura around the club was enough to gain respect um, from everyone, be it players, coaches, supporters, um, you know, everyone involved in football. He's just, he just had that respect. Was he, uh, from, was he a quiet guy uh, but got things done? Or was yes, he someone that when he spoke, everybody listened? Uh, they, that's that's a definite. Uh, it was it was a few words said, but very important <laughs> words. And um, it wasn't loud. He was very quiet. He was um, his demeanour was with um, you know a softly spoken attitude. But, um, the words that he put across were just so meaning meaningful that uh, you know people respected him for for for, for that. I had uh, Josh Parrish earlier. We were talking about uh, this possibility that we'd have you join us on air. And um, I, I, I remembered that we ha- George Katsanis and I had him in, on the Pioneers. And he came in yes. and he wasn't in the best of health. And, uh, I, but he did come in and, uh, and he had uh, some of the family making sure that he was okay. But he, he said to us he loved it. He actually enjoyed the evening. Going through, uh, we dragged some of the memories out from him because, as you, as you rightly say, he wasn't someone who kept going, look, I'm Tarzan. Uh, he knew his place. He knew what he had done. But at the same time, he revered all the very special people around him that had come together and had helped to make something quite special. And he, we went through an array of names. And, my God, it was a cavalcade of some of the biggest names in the game, especially in Victoria. Yeah, look, um, like I said earlier, I think he had, he had that respect from everyone in Victorian football. Um, geez, it's sad to say now because I'm just, uh, yeah, a little, yeah, a little bit emotional right now. He, um, and that's right too. Uh, only that, few, that's only right, George, because that man. Only a few days, few, few days ago, um, you know, he he came to Millicent Temple, so he had a beautiful lady that cared for him, for him, um, Anne, and Anne drove him to the. To, to, to Melissa, and um, he stayed in his car, of course, and Anne got out and bought his coffee and everything else. And uh, she said, well, I think you better go see John. He's, he's in the car. So I, I whizzed off, and um, yeah, he said, oh, look, uh, you know, this might be my last coffee. Wow. And um, oh, wow. I said, John, mate, come on. We've, we've gone through this you know, so many times. You you know, I, you told me the same story as no mate. This is it. You know, and um, he, he just he, he was humble. He was proud. He would walk around in his little um, little frame that he walked around. Yes, he's walking frame. Yeah. You know, his head was still up high, and he was very proud and you know well dressed. And, uh, and that was John Dimsis, you know. And um, and then of course only a few days ago he. He insisted that he had the last sip of another coffee from Melissa on the day, I think, a couple of hours before passing. And, you know, that's how important people were to him. Mm. There were certain people in his life, uh, be it through football or, or or around him, that meant so much to him. And he never let people go. He was always next to him. He was always uh, there for everyone. And, you know, uh, I mean, for, for people like myself who, who uh, grew up, alongside him and uh, they knew him very very well he was, he was a very very special person you know he'll 
he'll be so dearly missed that we would see him on a daily basis, you know, and, and to think that what he contributed to football in Heidelberg is mm. not going to be around anymore is quite sad. Are the boys going to wear a black armband in, in, um, oh, yeah, so in recognition? We're definitely, absolutely, we're respecting um, him and his family on, on Sunday. I think that, uh, I think probably Leeds and Mercus being one of his nephews will be there to take the toss uh, on behalf of him. Now, let me just say something else, uh, Georgie, because uh, this is quite sad as well. Um, so after John Dintz's era being president of the club, uh, we, we were very ha- uh, lucky to have uh, a person by the name of Arthur Nicolaitis come in and step in as the president of the club. And sadly, uh, the day after John passed, uh, Arthur Nicolaitis passed as well. No. And we've had two presidents pass in two days. Um so Sunday is going to be a quite emotional day before our kickoff, um, and geez, I know we haven't got off to a good start. But if, if there's one thing that I could pray for is that we win this game on on the weekend, uh, just uh, in recognition and and respect uh, to John and Arthur, to be quite honest. Can I take this opportunity on behalf of FNR to um, send our deepest uh, condolences and sympathies to all those that loved. John Dimsis and also Arthur. I had no idea. I didn't realise that you'd lost two presidents in two days. So thank you very much for give, for alerting us and, and reminding us of uh, the contribution so many good people make. And we talk about the volunteers. We talk about the people behind the scenes who aren't the players. And they're just as important in some respects, even more important. Uh, because Because without them, as we saw during the Olympic Games in Sydney in 2000, without the 60,000 volunteers helping the world discover Sydney and every other city in Australia, we wouldn't have had the most wonderful Olympic Games in, in the modern times. Correct. Very correct. And wow. uh, very true. Well, George, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that with us. And um, we'll make sure we, we pass on that, that information to the to the commentators on Sunday as well so they can properly acknowledge it on the broadcast. But the uh, the game is at 3 p.m. at Olympic Park on Sunday, Heidelberg United versus Oakley Cannons. And uh, I think it's great that the, the, the club will be playing, paying proper respect to these these legends. We really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and giving an insight. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Georgie. Thanks very much for the Thank opportunity and... Uh... Uh, fantastic having a chat again. Mate, we, we might have to get uh, down to Melissa and have a coffee, I think. We'll do. <laughs> Definitely do that. All the best, my boy. And good luck on the weekend, eh? Good luck. Thanks very right much. Now. George Sark is joining us. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk A-League men's, A-League uh, women's, and we'll also cover some of the other territory, some of the matches that have made an impact, uh, and one uh, that, has, that has caused Josh Parrish to wear the biggest smile. Um, uh, I know that at the beginning of the season he was raving about uh, this uh, wonderful um, uh, French star. His name is Benzema. Um, we, we're going to talk about why we think he's actually jumped out of the shadows and he's now playing like a man possessed. Uh, but all of that right after this break. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Josh Parrish talking A-League men's, let's do that. And I was at uh, Amy Park last night, uh, took a guest uh, into the uh, city class and we had a sticky beak at uh, what proved to be an exciting uh, win for Melbourne City. But for quite big parts, big lumps of that game, 
I, I, I've got to tell you, I haven't seen MacArthur play in the flesh too many times. How big and how combative is that group of players? <laughs> They've got a few big units in there, Whoa. don't they? Whoa. I mean, the likes of Shushnia, Mariapa, Uzkok stand out as the obvious ones. Apu yep. Yanu up front as well. He's a yep. really big aerial presence. Uh, they're, they're and that's how they some, got their opener. Yeah. They, they muscled it in, essentially. And uh, I don't know if a little bit more subtlety might be in order from uh, from that side because they've, they've got a lot of big names on the, uh, on the books, but the results have been, I would say, inconsistent this season. Well, that's very fair that you say inconsistent because for, for, for great stretches of that game last night at Amy, they looked awfully good and precise. And then, then there'd be that one uh, mm. pass that wasn't quite where it should be or one turn and you saw the option and they took, they took the wrong option. Well, if you do that three or four times, then those three or four chances are gone. But by golly, I thought... At, at some, Marco, Marco Tilio was being tackled out of the game. He was monstered by, by that defence. Uh, but credit to this young man, he just continues to grow. And uh, we saw Jamie McLaren also nipping and making noises and, and really trying to, to, to press and help, uh, you know, that forward pack. And there were some interesting things going on. Uh, what did you make of young Matt Sutton in his first game for City in goal? I didn't do too badly at all, but um, again, I that think it first was... that first goal, uh, I it... wanted him to come out. He did come out, but just just a fraction late. You know, you're never quite happy at all no, with the I'm City not. goalkeepers, no, are you? No, 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 no. You've, no, you've, no. you've been sceptical of some of was the last great. <laughs> oh no, I shouldn't say that. Uh, Sorensen and also our uh, inaugural goalkeeper at Melbourne Heart, who went on to become two-time um, uh, player of the season. Mm, in um, uh, Bootser, yeah. Yeah, yeah Bootser, just fantastic. Uh, they brought strength, they brought experience, and they brought quality. Um, and yes, of course they'd make mistakes. Goalkeepers make mistakes. Uh, players make mistakes. Re- re- referees make mistakes, uh, Josh? <laughs> they do indeed. Uh, I tell you what, uh, speaking of former City goalkeepers, uh, Dean Bazanis has been making a bit of a name for himself recently. Uh, it's an interesting, uh, if, you're playing, if you're playing overseas in, in, a, in a squad that you actually enjoy, mm. uh, he is making a name for himself, but he's always had the ability. Yeah, um, he, he always has. He's just, uh, I, th- I think it's been the... Mentality and the consistency. Yeah, I, I think there's been a bit of that. Um, but he's gone over to London. I think he's he's followed his his partner, which is Steph Catley, of correct, course, correct. Uh, playing playing at Arsenal. And uh, he's was willing to take any opportunity he could get in the in the London area. So he had to drop down to non-league. Listen, when you find quality, you <laughs> don't let it go. You stay with it. So he did great there. And it's it is terrific to see him blossoming. Well, he's 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 joined a non-league club in Sutton United. They've got promoted. They had all the Arsenal women's players there on the final day cheering them on, and then uh, he's into the uh, League One and League Two Cup uh, competition that they have. They've knocked off Wigan on penalties, and they're into the final of that as well. And they're chasing promotion from League Two. They're they're fourth. So in their first season in the in the football league, which is incredible, really. He's he's on quite a rise. Well, I've always thought he's had the skill. And if you remember early in his career, he trialled at some of the biggest clubs in London, did he not? Mm. And uh, we thought at one stage he was going to make it. But, and, he, and, of course, he, he ran into that perennial problem where you're the outsider 
and and there are three guys pushing you, and um, you've got to be either exceptionally gifted or very lucky. And he, he was gifted but not lucky, and I think that's why we saw him back in Australia. And he had a, a mixed run, I think it's fair to say, at City. There were times when he was very, very good, but you could hear the fans in the background, oh, oh, you know, he's one, he's one step away from making a mistake. Mm. And you don't want to hear that at any time. No, I think once you lose the a, confidence he's got a mistake in him. of no, the supporters stop. behind you, it's difficult to get it back. But you, you talked about him being highly rated as a young player. Mm. I mean, he, he was given a, a three-year academy deal at Liverpool and Rafa Benitez called him the best goalkeeper in the world for his age, which and don't I forget, mean, high praise. And don't forget his distribution. He, he can mm. hit a ball. He can, he can kick a ball and, and hit a target 50, 60 yards mm. down. That was always pitch. his strength. And, and that was always his strength. You're absolutely right. Um, but last night... We saw Melbourne City emerge victorious. And, of course, now they're going into a Saturday night game. Uh, it's, it's a Melbourne derby, but it's not the Melbourne derby uh, just yet. Uh, they're playing um, the Crosstown rivals, Western United. Um, what do you make of that? Um, mm. uh, Western United have looked incredibly, incredibly professional and very, very solid. And they've got a giant... From uh, who's played uh, in Switzerland? I think he's played in in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lex, not Lex Luthor, but Lex Lacroix, and he looks very special. He's settled in really nicely. He's having a great time. Has he's... he taken the key and the lock with him now? He just doesn't let anybody pass. Is well, that he, how it works? You know, he was uh, on the green room last night with us, and he was highly. Uh, well, he he spoke. In... Was he fun? He was, he was a lot of fun. He's a, he's, a, he's a cool, calm, collected character, which you can see. He's, a, he's got a lot of height on his side, and he's not easily phased. But he spoke so highly of not only John Aloisi, but Hayden Fox in particular. Yeah, Foxy. Who, um, uh, you know, in his French accent, he said, uh, Foxy. Um, <laughs> but he was uh, very impressed with uh, Hayden Fox's specific defensive coaching. It's Hayden's job to take a kind of back four and the goalkeeper or the back mm. six in the mm-hmm. drills and, mm-hmm. and drill the fine details, things like body position and, um, and uh, you know, the small details like that. And he said, uh, when I met this guy, I, I, I think I can, I can take something from him. <laughs> and, you know, that's... Big deal. Uh, from a player like Lacroix with his, you know, experience and, and pedigree, that, that shows a, a great deal of humility to go to a new country and um, a coach that you've never heard of or not familiar with and say, actually, this guy's got something to teach me, even though I'm 30 years old. That's a very good point that you make. He's 30. We've got at Melbourne City a guy called Jenkinson, who was ex-Arsenal, playing for Nottingham Forest. And uh, I think uh, we, we've got him on loan. But you look at him, the way he plays, you look at the way he reads the game constantly, and I'm hearing he loves Melbourne. So it's quality of life. It's they're fitting into two organisations that are really trying very, very hard to be as good as they can be. Uh, Western United, of course, have had uh, this ongoing story about whether or not their stadium will ever get built. We're hearing now that they have signed paperwork. They are moving forward on what is the training grounds. There'll be three pitches and an artificial pitch Mm -hmm all set up and it will be ready next year but that's not the stadium that'll be no. 5000 seater this is this... the complex around the correct, stadium correct 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 it, it's a bit like what city is doing at Casey Fields yep. uh, there's no stadium uh, spoken of at the moment 
but but we are we are hearing they're getting ever closer to trying to to wield or weld a deal uh, that saw uh, ProBuild fall by the by, and it's it, and many people saying to me, well, it was it was bound to happen. I'm thinking you guys haven't read the tea leaves. The world has changed over the last two years, mm. and some of these big building companies sign deals with great number of, of businesses and great numbers of properties, uh, and they were set prices, uh, and everything has ballooned. Yep. Uh, and you're saying to me now, well, why are they having such big problems? Well, hey, no one, no one is Nostradamus, and um, uh, when you're in the middle of, uh, of a storm, it's a very, very complex place, and so many variables can impact and make a decision, a good decision, look like a really bad one. Well, we were speaking to Leo Lacroix last night. We discovered he speaks six languages. Oh, shucks. And I was thinking you probably need to speak about six <laughs> languages to get a state government planning permit for something like this. Ah, good <laughs> line. Good line. So it's a complicated process, but they're uh, getting did, there slowly. Have you worked out what the languages are? <laughs> so he speaks so oh, well, French? The languages that he speaks. I yeah. thought you were talking about the state government. No, 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 one, no one can work that out. That's like uh, hieroglyphics. We need, we need a new Rosetta Stone. I think we do. You like? You like? But his uh, his languages, uh, well, Italian. Must be German. He speaks German, yeah. Italian, uh, French. French, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he speaks Portuguese because his mum is uh, Brazilian. Wow. So he's got a uh, a little bit of uh, Brazilian flair on his side, which I think you can see when he brings the ball out for a defence. Uh, English, of course. Yes. Um, and there's one that escapes me, but uh, you know, I'm how not sure if he, he can even keep track of how many languages um, he speaks. D- and and he, he must be in, in rear air uh, at Western United because he's got the two Johnny A's, Johnny Anastasiadis and Johnny Aloisi, and both mm. of them uh, looking like they're really comfortable. And you've got Foxy there, as you say, and we had Foxy, of course, at uh, Melbourne City. Mm-hmm. Johnny Aloisi and, uh, and Foxy were there. Um, so they're a tried and proven uh, team. Sure. Uh, so I'm not surprised. They've, they've got stability now with the hangar at Essendon, correct? Yep. That's where they're currently uh, doing all their training. Well, yes, all their senior uh, first-team training, and then they've got the MPL side playing out of uh, Caroline Springs and, and George Cross. And what, have you made, and what have you made of the MPL side? Well, they'll be yet to start this season. Of course, it kicks off a little bit later in MPL 3, 2 and 3. Than, uh, the, uh, but judging by last season, um, they look handy. They were second on the table just behind the Preston Lions. Are so, they loaded with youngsters? Yeah, um, I think it'll be slightly different, the, the group this season. So I'm, I'm keen to get the, my first look at them properly. But yeah, loaded with, with young players, as all those youth sides are. It's, it's uh, Victory City and Western United all in that same MPL3 division uh-huh. at the moment. Uh-huh. And you can see the differences between those sides and you know the senior men's club sides in those ranks because the A-League youth sides are very good technically. They can spray the ball around, keep possession better than any of the other teams in the competition. But, but they also get kicked to pieces on a weekly basis uh, by bigger bodies and more experienced, you know, hardened. Well, which is what I saw at Amy Park last night. Mm. I, I saw a big defensive unit, uh, not terrorising uh, the Melbourne City uh, little men, but really uh, making them work for whatever ga- ground they, they, they gained. Uh, what and that's was, a great and necessary learning experience to oh, play absolutely. against opponents if, like that. If, if, if the Marco Tilios, if the um, Kolakowskis and all these others uh, want to extend their careers, want to branch out and play in Europe and other markets, they're going to have to do it. 
because mm. you know the minute they see them, uh, as young as Arnie found out, <clears throat> uh, the minute young as Arnie uh, ran out onto the pitch, he was a marked man, mm. and he's struggling. Uh, genre Dennis Genre is looking really good and playing make, very playing regular, very football good football. Yeah, yeah, Ligue yeah. Deux and, and a side that could be promoted as well, which would be amazing to have a player in the top flight in France, so young and already establishing himself in that, that team's core for, for next season. So whatever happens, I, I think Jean Rowe has put himself in the national team frame for this upcoming set of qualifiers. Okay, so we've got a, the, the derby that's not the derby mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday night at Amy Park. It's Western United up against Melbourne City. First versus really, second. Yeah, really important for City mm. uh, because what people don't readily appreciate in this really up-and-down A-League season um, – uh, there are a number of fixtures that haven't been played. And Western United, I think, have two that are yet up their sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, City have got to make sure that every game they play, they maximise the points. And especially now, before they lose potentially Leckie and McLaren to international duty, because uh, the yeah, A-League can't point. afford to stop for those breaks anymore. No, that's a very good point. So what's your reading of the uh, the tea leaves? Who's going to rock up on Saturday mm-hmm. night at Amy Park and take the points. Understanding that the first time round, we saw a, a very narrow 1-0 win to Western United. So can they do the double? I think they can. And I'm, uh-huh. I'm going for the same result again because I think Western United are a tough matchup for City because they don't give you anything in, no. in transition. They and don't they're fast you, on the break, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They've got some players, especially off the bench, who can really hurt you like Dylan Wenzel-Halls. Um, you've got Dylan Perez who, who comes is, on. Who Warren Moon doesn't speak about anymore. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think uh, when, you, when you mentioned to me that uh, Brisbane, Brisbane Raw were going to be one of those, you know, sleepers, mm. that, you know, really going to come up and do it. Um, they might still be a sleeper, but at the moment they are asleep. I don't know. The point that we made earlier, they're not getting that cutting edge consistently enough to cut uh, or to uh, you know make their way into opposition defences, that box to box that you touched on, really impressive. Throw the ball around and really look terrific. Mm. Uh, but what's at the other end? I, I think the the best midfield combination that they've hit on this season has been Akbari and Steinman as a pair. And what a that, talent! That does move O'Shea slightly out of position, unfortunately for him. But I, I think if you can rely on him as a deliverer of the final ball, playing further forwards, if you can incorporate him in the right way, um, I, I think that would be uh, a better use of his talents. We saw the cross that he delivered for Lescano against Central Coast Mariners on the weekend was pinpoint yep, absolutely. perfect. Absolutely, on the, on the um, money. And we've seen Warren Moon experiment with three at the back as well. And with Tom Aldred getting fit again, he's potentially the one who can marshal the defence and, and get that back line in order. So I think the best shape for them going forward would be a 3-4-3 with O'Shea playing as one of the, I guess, two inside forwards, you call them, in the old parlance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe on the right-hand side to get in those sides of positions and deliver the ball into the box. Wenzel Hall up front, Jamie Young at the back. Lost both. Mm. They, they They were very important players. Yep. And Jamie Young, you only have to look at how many times he's been voted Raw's player of the season Correct. year after year after yep. year to know what they're losing. Enormous in consistency. And, mm. of course, that confidence breeds throughout the club, doesn't it? Mm. If, you're, if you're holding up all the back, 
then going forward is pretty easy. And speaking to Michael Theo last night, he's oh, the goalkeeping you, coach. You, at Western this United. is the green room last night. Indeed. Uh, he, he was saying that the biggest challenge coaching someone like Jamie Young is to actually challenge him and find new drills and new things that he hasn't to the next seen before and, and, you know, areas that he hasn't improved because, you know, he's had such a long and successful career. He's sort of seen it all before. So that's actually a really uh, innovative challenge for, for Michael Theodore to come up with things on a weekly basis that test him. I've got an idea. Why don't you ring long distance Gigi Buffon <laughs> and say, come on now, you know, you're, you're, get, you're nearing the end uh, coming up 45, <laughs> a couple of, just a couple of drills for us young fellas. <laughs> that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Well, it would be, uh, be a thrill for uh, Alyssa Del Oste, who uh, was, is one of the, the development squad that will become the Ailey women's squad when Western United entered a team. She said her hero was Gigi Buffon. Uh, there so you go. Would be a thrill. But uh, uh, he signed a, a contract extension at Palmer to take him to, I don't know, 45, yeah, 46. It's crazy. But, but sh- should we talk about the Champions League before we go? Uh, just before we do that, I, I, I want uh, uh, the – let's touch on the Liberty. That is the A-League women's. Indeed. A couple of very important games. You've got Sydney up against City. What do you make of that? Mm. And can City upset the cart and move forward? And then you've got victory up against Adelaide. Mm. What's, what's your read of that? Because, again, I don't want to see victory. They've taken a gamble. Was it a good gamble or is it going to come and backfire in their face? Well, I'll start with uh, Sydney City, shall I? Go, first, go, first go. second. Yep. That's a conundrum for me because obviously very sad to see Holly McNamara go down with oh, that, absolutely. A, that ACL injury. Yep. And we were discussing on Tuesday on Radio Dub that Courtney Vine for Sydney is sort of, in a, in a strange sort of way, is Sydney's Holly McNamara, the, the pace and energy that she provides. She's under an injury cloud for this game. Uh-huh. What we're hearing... So far, the the rumour mill is that she will play but not start. So she might come off the bench. As an impact player. So I think that gives Melbourne City a chance, a a definite chance to host a home grand final. I'm not sure how fit Courtney Vine really is. If she comes on and she's 100% for 20 minutes, that could decide the game. Okay. So it, it, it depends a lot on who scores the first goal because I think if City scored the first goal, they can tighten things up and make it difficult for, for Sydney. But if they go behind, I think it's, it's on a knife edge for me. As, a, as for Adelaide victory, if you were picking it on form, you'd have to say Adelaide. But uh, we had Maya Markovsky in the studio on Tuesday and she said she had a goal celebration ready, a bit of a special <laughs> in case she scores, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't say on air what it was. It's a surprise. It's good. So I'm hoping that victory win just so we can get, or at least she scores, so we can get the celebration. Fantastic. All right. Uh, let's talk about something else before we go to the, Euro, the, uh, the matches that were played in Europe uh, this morning. And that is uh, what happened to the derby that was meant to be played on mm. Saturday between City and um, uh, victory. I mean... I have people still shaking their heads. You have some idea of what's transpired. Mm. Uh, give us your read uh, and your assessment of what actually went on and how difficult it was to actually arrive at a decision that, that covered everybody. I think there's been a little bit of Because we don't want to play ducks and drakes and mm. we don't want to label one, one, one guy or one mm. team or one club the, the bad guys in this. There were a number of... Uh, really difficult um, uh, scenarios that cropped up. Again, COVID right in the middle of it. 
Well, from from my my Read my sources, my mail, your George, source, your mail. Um, is that Victory have been trying to shift this game to the Friday night for, for, a th- month. for three to four weeks. Wow. Okay. They knew they had to arrive in Japan three days beforehand to satisfy the AFC and government requirements. Uh, so even if those uh, requirements from Japan only came into effect this week, they weren't blindsided by it, nor was the APL. Okay. They they knew. Um, uh, Football Australia, on their behalf, has been lobbying to get the the AFC to shift the game. Uh, the this is being the qualifying playoff against Vissel Kobe. The AFC, not a flexible organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We come first, you know, <laughs> and we demand lobster in the buffet, and uh, <laughs> and you know we don't care about your domestic league. That seems to be the attitude of the AFC, and I guess rightly so. They are. The, on the, the, the decision makers, the they're, order, they're, they're exactly they're ahead of the game. Yep, they, they don't care about whether a, a Melbourne derby goes to air on Channel Ten or not, whereas we do. So, and Melbourne City want to play on the Saturday night as the marquee fixture. The APL wants the game on free to air TV, which is the Saturday night slot. And it is City's game, and it is City's home game. So, the APL and City refused to move it to Friday night, and now we have to postpone it. Which, wow. I mean, it's I think it's a call that could have been made a little bit earlier. Could have been flagged. Um, I, I I think for the benefit of the schedule, Friday night is probably the more convenient solution. But that's not going to happen now, and uh, instead we'll uh, we'll have to push it. So. And ten wants it on a Saturday night. Of course they do. It's, it's a gilt edged uh, derby, and of course, as we saw, it was a pulsating two two draw last time round. Uh, victory came out of the blocks. Smart showed their smarts. Got an early goal held it for nearly 60-odd minutes before City came out and whipped two in in a matter of two or three minutes. Mm. Uh, and, of course, uh, victory came back uh, late in the game and made it 2-2. So, again, uh, all to play for uh, and, and the bragging rights. So it, it's, I can understand how everybody wants a piece of the action mm. and would like to get what they need, um, but it seems to me that we, we're going to have to cop it. So two two derbies, mm-hmm. two Melbourne derbies, uh, back to front. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so we've right. been forced into a lot of changes to make sure everyone gets a game this you weekend. Know, do you know what fascinates me? If this was the AFL or the NRL, the fans wouldn't be wouldn't be complaining. They'd be thrilled to bits that the games were actually being played, mm. right? But somehow we seem to be the favoured uh, child that wants to be kicked each and every week. <laughs> Everybody uh, on Twitter, I cannot believe some of the commentary. I know Twitter is super toxic when it wants to be, and it's most of the time. Uh, but goodness gracious, uh, these organisations aren't doing this to make it difficult you for us. You know what I think it is, George, and you make a good point, but I think the communication strategy on behalf of the APL has been too uh, clandestine and people aren't <laughs> trusting them anymore. Reactive, not proactive. If, people, if they just come out is and said... Is that fair? Yes. Uh, if they just come out and been honest about it and upfront and said, you know, we want to play the game on a Saturday night, the AFC won't move the game, therefore we have to postpone it. I think people would have complained, but they would have understood. Yeah. But now we've got all this rumour and conjecture and trying to sweep it under the rug and pretend like the Japanese government has changed the restrictions <laughs> at the last minute, which is just not true based on any like brief amount of research. And that's why I wanted you to um, um, mm. provide an utterance that made some measure of sense. And, mm. and from, from what I can detect, you're, you're very much on the money. And, and that is indeed the case. There have been three or four competing interests. 
uh, AFC, first off, mm. wanted what they wanted and everyone else had to try to, to fit in. Okay. My, my, my point is just don't treat us like idiots. Yeah, just yeah. be upfront and honest and clear with your communications I, I think, and people will understand. I think, as we've said from day one, fix your app, right? <laughs> but also take us on the journey. Yeah. Be proactive. Don't be, be, don't be reactive. Exactly. Uh, we know you want to make it better. And it's like the Optus one, which was disastrous at the very beginning, so much so that SBS ended up doing something it didn't mm. want to do that was cover the World Cup in, in Russia. Um, but they got an awful lot of uh, 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 accolades for, for doing a tremendous job. Mm. Speaking of accolades, my goodness me, Messi is not the Messi of old, but he can still play football. But there's a guy called Benzema. My God. What is... What is he on? Is he the anti-aging pills? Uh, <laughs> you know, he's just he look. He looks when he scores a goal now. He he's bouncing higher and running mm. faster than than um, Ronaldo at his prime. Well, I, I think coming out from Ronaldo's shadow and and not having to, to serve the ball up to him <laughs> and and make the decoy run so that Ronaldo can be on the end of the cross all the time uh, has benefited Benzema in the last couple of seasons. He scored a lot of goals. You know, wh- whenever he's been fit, he's looked like the player that he really is. The confidence. Mm. Some of those touch. No, most of the touches look like he's really in that purple patch. Uh, look, uh, we we saw a young guy called uh, Mbappe, and. We know he's very mm. special. Yeah? Just keep his head on. That would be nice. Mm. Yeah, um, a little a, a little humility would help. Would go a long way. But I'm not gonna. I'm not. Gonna... But had it not been for the capitulation of his teammates, he would have won the tie. You know, he scored very... in both legs. Yeah, yeah. Good point. He played really well. He had one goal disallowed for a, an offside. That it was beautiful the way he dummied the keeper and stepped around him and. Uh, so what happens now? Does no, he go to Real or does yeah, he there stay there was even PSG? an earlier one I've forgotten about. He had two goals disallowed in the match. So, you know, he put the ball in the net four times, counted twice over the tie, and he's, he's I think, done his bit. But So is he going or is he staying? I think he's going. The way he was looking around the Bernabeu, you know, almost rubbing his hands with glee, saying this is my home for next season. Oh. But for PSG, I mean, this only cements their reputation as as, as chokers, as bottlers. You know, you think back to the new camp when uh, Neymar did the business back in, what was it, 2017, I want to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've basically done the same thing again. And Donnarumma in particular, who almost kicked the whole thing off <laughs> with, uh, re- with his refusal to get rid of the ball, uh, has, has been the, the chief culprit. But I don't think Marquinhos is immune from criticism. It's... Yeah, it's a, it's an all time uh, choke from from PSG, and uh, I'm not sure if they're they're going to be adding the prize Champions League to their their collection anytime soon. As a result, last question before we close the show: uh, a guy called Pochettino, does he now go to Manchester United? Well, <laughs> to give, take over from Ranić. I mean, given how he's dealt with a dressing room full of egos. Um, Maybe not. May, well, I think he might fit in perfectly. <laughs> but but the reality is, I don't think some of these guys are going to be at Manchester United. Mm, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing, and I'm getting a feeling there's going to be an enormous uh, clean up. Mm. Yeah, it was funny when Scott McTominay was being interviewed after the Manchester derby, and he said. Um, you know, I'd, I don't think about any of the drama behind the scenes, which I think it was a little bit of a naive comment because he's revealing that there is indeed drama behind, behind the, the scenes. scenes. Yeah. I, I think Pochettino is a great manager, uh, but 
you know, no one seems to go well at PSG. You look at Tuchel. He got out of there and won the Champions League in six months Correct. with Chelsea. So Correct. I don't think you should necessarily judge him based on this. But so many do. That's, that's the world of football. Uh, everyone has an opinion. Um, we trust you've enjoyed this week's episode of State of Our Football Nation, an opportunity to reflect on a guy who really loved his club mm. and contributed to the game, not only in Victoria but Australia-wide. We're talking about the late uh, uh, John uh, Dimtis, who um, won a, uh, you know, all the accolades from uh, Football Victoria – uh, they cared enough. They made him a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. and uh, that's rare. That's rare air yep. when they when they acknowledge you like that. And you heard from jo- George Katsakis uh, just what he meant to the community, what he meant to his club, and what he's meant to the game. So fantastic stuff. And again, we didn't realise that Heidelberg has lost a second president, um, uh, and that's an awful thing. So again, condolences and sympathies to the club and those families involved. Mm. Uh, but a big game. At three o'clock on Sunday at Olympic Village, an opportunity. It's Oakley up against Heidelberg. There might be some very sweet memories. Mm, I think so. And uh, we'll have one of our own, Nick DeBarno, and on the commentary Can for that one. Can you imagine DeBarno doing this? Great. It'll be excellent. Yeah, Fantastic he'll be, stuff. He'll be alongside Jordan Canella. So we'll pass on um, those. Uh, those messages to, to the commentary team so they can acknowledge it properly during, before the minute silence on mpl.tv, which is where you can go to watch it if you, you can't make it to Olympic Village. But it'll be an emotional day, and I think it's a fitting fixture and a, and a traditional kickoff time to, to one of these, yes, these it, two it, Heidelberg it's, greats. It's the real, the real football time mm. for years and years and years, at, whether it was Lakeside or whether it was Olympic Park or Middle Park, 3 o'clock Sunday. I can yeah. remember 3 o'clock Sunday, Wentworth Park in Sydney mm. or the sports ground, uh, they were big places to get, you know, you could, you could feel all morning and into the early mm. afternoon, the bubbling, uh, the, the fans were mm. rocking in, filling the turnstiles and the bragging rights were up in the air and three o'clock, that's when the action started and it was quite something. All right, my friend, thanks for joining us. Until next week, uh, this has been State of Our Football Nation, Josh Parrish and George Denikian. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.